Good afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, KLW's radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David Latulipe. Today I'll be talking with the Executive Director of the Oakland Symphony, Dr. Mieko Hatano. She'll be talking about the playlist Angela Davis selected for this Saturday's Oakland Symphony concert. You'll hear from Hamid Ramanian, director and creator of the Fictionville Studio Kingarama presentation of Song of the North, based on an epic 10th century Persian poem with over 500 shadow puppets involved. Plus, you'll hear about the opening foray of the season for Opera Parallel, The Emissary. I'll have conductor Kenji O oh and librettist Kelly Rourke on hand. That and a preview of some other events happening all this week. Right after the news. Stay with us. BBC News with Sue Montgomery. President Biden says he's secured an agreement for the delivery of a limited amount of aid to Gaza, where 12 days of Israeli siege and bombardment have caused an acute humanitarian crisis. Speaking on his way home after his visit to Israel, Mr Biden said he was forthright about the need to get aid into Gaza. I was very blunt with the Israelis. Because look, Israel has been badly victimized, but my point to everyone is, look, if you have an opportunity to alleviate the pain, you should do it, period. And if you don't, you're going to lose credibility worldwide. Mr. Biden said President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi of Egypt had agreed to open the Rafah border crossing to let in 20 trucks of aid. Israel has said it won't prevent deliveries as long as supplies don't reach Hamas. The UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees says it has systems in place to ensure that doesn't happen. UNRWA's communications director is Juliette Touma. We've been working on the ground in the Gaza Strip for more than 70 years. We are direct implementers through UN workers who work with us. We have very strict scrutiny, monitoring and evaluation of where our assistance goes. Our Middle East editor, Sebastian Usher, says Egypt has faced a number of issues in enabling aid to go into Gaza. I mean, what Egypt has been saying over the past few days as hundreds of lorries with supplies urgently needed in Gaza have been piling up on the Egyptian border waiting to go through, that it's inoperable because of airstrikes by Israel and they even accused Israel of placing concrete blocks there. So Egypt essentially took the position of we want this humanitarian to go in. We want there to be a safe haven inside Gaza where people will have the food, they'll have the fuel, they'll have the water and most importantly, some of us will have the shelter with tents that will go in. During his brief visit to Tel Aviv, Mr Biden reaffirmed his support for Israel and his right to strike back at Hamas for the mass killing of Israelis that triggered the war. But he cautioned against being consumed by rage, saying this had led the US to make mistakes in its response to the 9-11 attacks in 2001. Hundreds of mostly Jewish peace protesters are staging a demonstration in the Capitol complex in Washington, chanting ceasefire now and waving Palestinian flags. They're demanding that U.S. lawmakers pass a resolution calling on the Biden administration to facilitate a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict. More than 300 have been arrested. Some of the protesters are staging a sit-in inside the Capitol complex. World News from the BBC. 
Republicans in the US House of Representatives have, for a second day running, failed to elect their hardline colleague Jim Jordan as Speaker. Another vote won't take place before Thursday. Our North America correspondent, Nomia Iqbal, has more. To put it quite bluntly, the House Republicans are in chaos. So Jim Jordan, he did a lot of heavy lobbying yesterday and actually he got more Republicans turning against him than four. So yesterday he got uh, 20 Republicans voted against him and today the numbers increased to 22. So that means he's not met that threshold to carry a majority. And he earlier was saying he wasn't sure whether he'd proceed to a third round of voting, but he has now said that he will. And so Congress is now in in recess at the moment, so they can theoretically keep going at this for some time. But because Congress is in disarray, it means lots of crucial issues can't be voted on. An investigation into a devastating fire at South Africa's parliament in Cape Town last year has blamed officials and failures in the security system. The blaze took three days to put out. The cost of reconstructing the National Assembly Chamber, which was not insured, has been estimated at more than $100 million. A suspect was arrested and charged with arson and terrorism, but declared unfit to stand trial. The Brazilian army is continuing to confine 160 troops to their barracks while it investigates the theft of 21 machine guns from a military base near Sao Paulo last week. Reports say those detained range in rank from privates to colonels. Japan's government has unveiled measures to counter over-tourism as famous sites, including Mount Fuji, struggle with a post-pandemic surge of foreign visitors. The Prime Minister said local communities had been impacted. Rail operators will be allowed to hike fees during busy periods. BBC News. This is Suni Khalid, news editor here at KALW. In case you missed it, emergency responders and communities across the state are preparing for tomorrow's great shakeout. And high school students across San Francisco walked out today to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. You can hear these stories as well as others from our partners at NPR and the BBC by logging onto our website at KALW.org. Meanwhile, keep your dial set on 91.7 for KALW, San Francisco Bay Area. That's music from the great Pete Seeger that will be reimagined in orchestral form by the Oakland Symphony.
as they offer Playlist with Angela W. Davis, Saturday at 7.30 at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. It's going to be hosted by the award-winning comedian, director, and producer Kamau W. Kamau Bell. And Playlist will feature the Oakland Symphony with special musical guests, led by guest conductor Ricky Minor, performing the soundtrack of Angela Davis's life, songs she chose. She, she chose. Chose. That's not proper at all. She will be on stage at the Paramount Theater as the mixtape of her favorite music comes to life and shares how her journey was shaped by specific songs, artists, and genres. In 2018, W. Kamau Bell was the first person to do playlist with the Oakland Symphony, and he returns to host this evening's musical journey into Davis's musical passions. Through her activism and scholarship, Angela W. Davis, Angela Y. Davis, is an activist, scholar, and writer, and she's been deeply involved in our nation's quest for social justice. Her work as an educator has always emphasized the importance of building communities of struggle for economic, racial, and gender justice. Her teaching career has taken her to San Francisco State, Mills College, and UC Berkeley. She's also taught at UCLA, Vassar, the Claremont Colleges, and Stanford University. She spent the last 15 years at the University of California, Santa Cruz, where she, where she is now Distinguished Professor Emerita of History of Consciousness, an interdisciplinary Ph.D. program, and of feminist studies. Davis is known internationally for her ongoing work to combat all forms of oppression, and she's a living witness to the historical struggles of the contemporary era. In addition to being a co-founder of Critical Resistance, an organization that aims to end the prison industrial complex, Angela Davis is the author of several books, including Angela Davis, an autobiography, Women, Race, and Class, Women, Culture, and Politics, Blues, Legacies, and Black Feminism, Are Prisons Obsolete?, Abolition, Democracy, and the Meaning of Freedom. Here to tell us more about this Saturday's concert and more about happenings and concerts the Oakland Symphony is offering this season is Dr. Mieko Hatano, the Oakland Symphony's Executive Director since 2018. Mieko certainly, uh, currently serves as a director on multiple boards, including Visit Oakland, the Association of California Symphony Orchestras, and USC Radio Group's Board of Counselors, as well as in an advisory capacity for Maestro Games, a social purpose corporation working with first responders and research institutions. Prior to joining Oakland Symphony, Dr. Hatano served as executive director of music in the Mountain Summer Festival in Nevada City, California. Mieko also worked with the Aspen Music Festival in school and has degrees from the University of Southern California, Los Angeles, and University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Welcome, Doctor. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me on. Sure. Well, first of all, let's get listeners um, apprised of how this idea for a playlist concert came to be. Yeah, um, well, this actually manifested from the brain of our late music director, Maestro Michael Morgan, uh, who was with us as music director for 30 years. Um, and he was always really innovative about coming up with programs that could help everyday people in our community relate to one another through music. Um, you know, he's famous for starting the Notes From, which featured music from lots of different parts of our community. And this playlist um, concept was thinking about how could we bring um, people who were, are the great minds of a generation um, to the hall to be able to tell stories and about their experiences through music. 
uh, a medium which we can all relate to. You know, I think we all have our favorite songs. We have our favorite um, celebration songs, our breakup songs, our, you know, angry songs, you know, all those those songs that that um, speak to us when we have these different emotions or really significant times in our lives. And, and, you know, that's not unique to just everyday people, um, people who we look up to, people who, um, like I said, are the, these great minds, um, they all have those same experiences. And so bringing together this idea of being able to interview somebody and have them talk about, um, you know, the their incredibly, uh, you know, amazing things that we've re read in history books and, and those experiences that they've had, um, and having them talk about it through this medium of music and so many folks, you know, actually love the same songs and relate to the same um, music throughout their lives. It's something that brings a common ground um, from which we can just talk about different, you know, like the civil rights movement. Um, we've Before Angela Davis, we also had uh, Dolores Huerta, you know, and, and so having people come to the table and um, talk about these significant uh, events in history, even because these are people who are right at the center um, of these historical movements and talk about the music that drove them, the music that inspired them, that kept them going, um, the nostalgia piece of it and, and the people that they met and became friends with, the artists that they became friends with. Uh, it's just this inside look on music that that we've all probably loved and enjoyed and, and are on our own lists uh, in a completely different frame. Well, we started with the timely, which side are you on? Pete Seeger made famous, uh, very timely, given current <laughs> labor movements. And of course, Angela Davis's involvement in the labor movements. Uh, certainly, exactly. Um, and there's there's so many other pieces in there. And actually, for some folks that they might remember um, when she was imprisoned and there was a really big musical movement in Cuba, but also, um, you know, Los Angeles, people that wrote music inspired by, you know, wanting to bring um, light to this case, um, to free her to, as protest songs. Um, you know, Herbie Hancock had, I think, an entire album that he put together of music at that time. Um, we had a lot of music from, like I said, Cuba. Uh, and so actually one of the pieces that we'll be um, that we'll be bringing forward is something that actually I don't think many people have probably gotten to hear is uh, Cancion para Angela. Uh, by Silvio Rodriguez and Pablo Milanes. Um, we also have Sweet for Angela, Ostinato, Ode to Angela. You know, there's some music historically that is so significant to that time that so many people actually remember, you know, in real life as it was happening uh, and the protest movements that were, were happening around that. And so to bring that to life and then to have the person, you know, for which this was all composed, actually talk about that experience and her friends in the, the you know, music world, the, the artist friends, um, all of those folks. I think it's, it's really significant. Uh, another example, actually, um, you know, we're going to be doing uh, Ballad for Americans by Paul Robeson. Uh, and, you know, for that, just her time in New York and actually her um, her music director at her high school actually wrote the music that backed up the, um, the words that Paul Robeson wrote. You know, so it's those kinds of connections that we may not know about and she might not have even written about in any of her, you know, her biographies and, and 10 volumes of, of writings that she's done um, to get that little inside scoop about some some nostalgia, uh, different con connections and historically how that all fit in in such a, a significant way as we know it now. 
I just got the playlist that, um, uh, thanks to Marshall Lamb, of, of what the, what's shaping up to be the final, <laughs> the final look. I know there's a lots of lots of balls in the air on this, but also you know music of Mozart, the music of Beethoven, some selections from the finale of the Ninth Symphony, which MTT is about to do here in town this weekend. Carol King's "You've Got a Friend," respect Aretha Franklin. You really get the, a sense of who this woman is just looking at the ta- the title she's chosen. Definitely, I think that's one of the the common threads that that we've found actually with great minds. Um, they're they're not sort of in a in a single um, affinity of appreciation and love artistically. You know, people that 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 we think of as maybe jazz musicians or pop stars, oftentimes they actually have their roots in in classical you know training um, and and this love. And we don't we don't get to see all aspects of of people very often. And so you know through someone's musical playlist, you can you can actually understand them better because they aren't. It isn't just you know soul or uh, you know hip hop or jazz or classical music. And of course, within classical music, there's so many genres too. You know, it's really this full picture that is not segregated by these tastes so much as what is the common thread across genres, and so that we we don't have this this segregation of oh. I only listen to this type of music. Um, our great minds of our of our time, you know, they they listen to a lot. There's a curiosity that is a, in common, um, and an appreciation for artists who uh, compose in different ways. You know, songwriters, um, composers, etc. That um, that can influence us and influence our our what what we're feeling and understanding and and the power of changing our minds and, and understandings of the world around us. I mentioned that W. Kamal Bell hosted the first playlist. He returns to host this Saturday. And for those that need a little refresher on him, he's a stand-up comedian, director, producer, and dad, as well as a good friend of KLW. For seven seasons, he was host and executive producer of the five-time Emmy Award-winning CNN docuseries United Shades of America. Kamal won a Peabody Award for his Showtime docuseries, We Need to Talk About Cosby. As a stand-up comic himself, he has recorded two comedy specials. The second one, Private School Negro, is available on Netflix. Kamau is on the board of directors of Donors Choose, a nonprofit that helps teachers raise money for class projects and live free, a nonprofit dedicated to ending gun violence, mass incarceration, and mass criminalizations. Kamau is also on the ACLU's Celebrity Ambassador for Racial Justice and lives in Oakland. A great pairing of W. Kamau Bell and Angela Davis, that's for sure. That's so true. I mean, just thinking about the different shows that he's had on CNN, you know, United Shades of America, Awkward Conversations. You know, I actually love um, the Awkward Conversations pieces because, you know, that's one of the things we need to be having these tough conversations, particularly as we look across the world with, um, you know, all of the, the, the uh, you know, separation of, of these you know, folks with different ideas and instead of trying to find these commonalities and, and actually having conversations that can um, uplift different points of view and, and, you know, try to bring us forward together to find unity. Um, and, and I think with, with his ability to tease out, um, you know, stuff that maybe isn't very comfortable to talk about. And yet at the same time, it's some of the most important things that we need to be talking about. And with Oakland Symphony, that's actually one of our, our major ideals is we want to, we want to perform music. We want to commission music. We want to, um, you know, talk about topics and, and through art that are not easy. 
you know, because that's that really truly is the purpose of art. And here in Oakland, of course, uh, you know, we we're, it's an activist community. Um, we dig into the tough stuff. And, you know, we're very much dedicated to representing that about our community uh, through the medium of an orchestra and what we put on stage. Well, um, you know, I met, we started with the Pete Seeger, um, uh, which side are you on? That, along with um, the Ballad for Americans that you just mentioned of Paul Robeson, are going to be arranged by Matt Wong, is among the team of arrangers who also plays with the symphony. Let's hear Paul Robeson's original Ballad for Americans, and then more with Dr. Mieko Hatano, executive director of this Oakland Symphony. Seventy-six, the sky was red, thunder rumbling overhead. Bad King George couldn't sleep in his bed, and on that stormy morn, old Uncle Sam was born. Old Sam put on a three-cornered hat. And in a Richmond church he sat And Patrick Henry told him that While America drew breath It was liberty or death Everybody believed it. Everybody who was anybody, they doubted it. Nobody had faith. Nobody, nobody but Washington, Tom Paine, Benjamin Franklin, Chaim Solomon, Christmas Alex, Lafayette. Nobody's. Nobody's ran a tea party at Boston. Yeah, probably if you had a horse race. And a little ragged group believed it. And some gentlemen and ladies believed it. And some wise men and some fools. And I believed it too. And you know who I am. Now, who are you, mister? Yeah, how come all this? Well, I'll tell you. Now let me... Mighty fine idea. Adopted unanimously in Congress, July 4th, 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. 
Yes, sir. That's right. And the pursuit of happiness. Is that what they say? The very words. That sure does sound mighty fine. Building the nation is awful tough. The people found the going rough. An excerpt from Ballad for Americans, the original recording there by Paul Robeson. It will be reimagined by arranger Matt Wong for the Oakland Symphony as part of the playlist Angela Davis, hosted by W. Kamau Bell. This Saturday at 7.30 at the Paramount Theater. Among the core, I mean, a plethora of soloists and guests, uh, Martin Luther McCoy, Francisco Herrera, Vivek uh, Hawkins, Valerie Trout, the C-O-L-L-A-B Choir Chorus, the Oakland Symphony Chorus, Elena Pinderhughes, flute soloist, Errol Cooney, guitar, Carlos Del Puerto, bass, Rex Hardy, drums, and Matt Wong on piano and keyboard, as well as one of the arrangers. Talking with Dr. Mieko Hatano, executive director of the Oakland Symphony. Uh, not only about that concert this Saturday, which we hope you can come to, but also about what else is happening with the Oakland Symphony. I noticed a couple of openings at the Oakland Symphony website, and, and I now also know that you're working still on, on fulfilling the very large shoes of Michael Morgan. Indeed, indeed, though, David, um, I, I just want to correct you. We're not filling shoes. It would be impossible to to fill Michael Morgan's shoes. Instead, we talk about standing on his shoulders. Ah. You know, what's the next generation? And, and, you know, we really truly believe this, that every step we take as an organization, um, as individuals, how are we mentoring the future and widening our own shoulders so that someday someone else may step on them. And Michael Morgan is is absolutely the, the perfect example of an individual who accomplished just that. Uh, and so we're really excited for this next generation um, of conductors that we've been able to feature over the last few seasons. This is our final season of The Search, and we'll be announcing um, our new music director uh, by the end of the season um, in uh, this spring. Uh, just really incredible uh, guest conductors that we have come uh, brought here to Oakland um, across cultures, across experiences, backgrounds. Uh, but I will say that the one thing that all of them have had in common is a passion for uh, and, and ability to have uh, cultural fluency. You know, Oakland, California in particular, uh, let alone the Bay Area, you know, there, we have over 125 language dialects spoken here. And again, you know, our, our, our entire mission is to really truly be able to reflect and, um, and, and uplift our very diverse community of folks. And we want to have that reflected throughout um, our organization and particularly uh, with leadership. So we're just so excited for, for this incredibly talented group of conductors we've had and will have this season. Uh, and then to, to announce the eventual leader um, who's going to take Oakland Symphony um, to, to new places, um, you know, and, and new connections with our community uh, and, and new ideas through music. Fantastic. And, you know, you, you're right in that you shouldn't just have someone fill the shoes because what if they're the wrong size and you got the right fit? You know, <laughs> awkward. So, I, you know, I appreciate your efforts there. You also looks like you're looking for a, uh, a development director that was posted recently. And tell us about the, uh, the Muse Education Program of Oakland Symphony. 
Sure, yeah, it's actually a very unique program. We are in partnership with Oakland Unified School District as well as Emeryville um, Unified School District. And we take our professional musicians, um, we you know help do some professional development and we send them into the schools to work with uh, alongside and individually as teaching artists, um, teaching instrumental education uh, and mentoring students um, and, and supporting our, our public music teachers, our certified public music teachers um, in these school districts, all with the idea of bringing equity of opportunity. Um, you know, I, we're not going to see parity and, and real justice in our community until everyone has the same opportunities. And so we're really dedicated to ensuring that all of our youth um, you know, we're, we're working on that scaling. We're in 24 schools now. And we're working towards more. Um, and our goal is to, to reach every single school to give that opportunity for, for, for parity so that every kid has an opportunity to learn an instrument, um, to learn to read music. Um, you know, the, there's so many studies. There's data. It's not anecdotal at all um, by any means. The importance of music education from a young age for students. Uh, I mean, literally, you can dissect adult brains and tell who had music uh, and has played music all their lives versus those who hasn't haven't so you know that's that's part of our mission um, towards justice towards um, ensuring that the same opportunities of those with privilege um, are, are you know given to those currently without so we can help end the cycle in our community. Fantastic that's the good work of the Oakland Symphony under its executive director Dr. Miko. Hatano, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Mieko, and we look forward to the good work that the Oakland Symphony does throughout the year, and we'll have you uh, or uh, one of the guest conductors come on and tell us more later. Wonderful. Thank you so much, David. It's been my honor. The pleasure is all ours, and the playlist of Angela Davis will be featured on this Saturday's Oakland Symphony concert. Go to oaklandsymphony.org to learn more, and one of those tunes I mentioned, a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T.
Aretha Franklin, you'll hear an orchestral version of that tune as part of the playlist of Angela Davis, hosted by W. Kamal Bell, the Oakland Symphony, this Saturday, oaklandsymphony.org. Still to come, you'll hear about the Song of the North, based on a 10th century Persian poem and being performed with over 500 shadow puppets. Stay with us. And next, some more opera. to give you a little sampling of the writing style of Kenji O. He's the composer of The Emissary, which opens Opera Parallel's 2023 season next Friday with a total of three performances at ODC on 17th Street in the Mission. It has a libretto by Kelly Rourke. Both composer and librettist join me to tell us more. Kenji O oh is a multiple award-winning Japanese composer of contemporary classic and media music based in Los Angeles, and whose music has been performed at various venues in the U.S., Europe, Australia, and Japan by esteemed ensembles and musicians. His film scores have been screened in various prestigious film festivals, and he holds a Master of Music degree in composition from our own San Francisco Conservatory of Music, where he studied with David Gardner. He also holds a degree from Kyoto University of Education. Welcome to you, Kenji. Hello, David. Thank you for having us. Of course. Kelly Rourke is a celebrated librettist, translator, and dramaturg. Her work has been commissioned and performed by dozens of prestigious U.S. and European opera companies. Rourke's modern English adaptations of standard and not-so-standard operas have been hailed as, quote, crackingly witty by, of course, a British publication, The Independent, and remarkably well-wedded to the music and versification in arias by The New York Times. Rourke is resident dramaturg for the Glimmerglass Festival and the Washington National Opera. She was founding editor of Opera America's magazine and a contributor to the New Grove Dictionary of American Music. Welcome to you, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. I think we should start with you, Kelly. Um, The Emissary doesn't tell me much. Could you perhaps offer us a synopsis? Sure. The Emissary tells the story of a wounded, broken world, and it's a world in which 
the mistakes of the elders have caused extinctions and mutations across every species, including humans. It looks ti- um, timely the, already. <laughs> it does. It feels more and more timely every day. Um, and the one of the effects on the humans is that the old are now going to live forever and the young are very, very sick, which sounds impossibly dark. Um, and it certainly is a dark backdrop, but it's a story that has a lot of light because it really centers on the relationship between an old man and his great grandson and how they are just moving forward in this world. Um, the young man, Mume, is just a beacon of light and wonder in the way that children are. Um, he doesn't know what has been lost. And we also have this sense, he's, he's gotten wind of something called the Emissary Association of people who have this ritual of lighting candles and who want to share the news of what's happened in this country with the outside world so that maybe other countries can um, avoid such, uh, such circumstances. So that's the kind of the nutshell. Well, it'd be interesting to see how it's staged, as it is just two people in the cast, but also includes the uh, um, Lick Wilmering, Wilmerding High School Chorus. Yes, and, you know, one of the great things about Opera Parallel's hands-on opera program is that they feature um, local young people. And when Kenji was looking at an idea for an opera, and I will say that this novel was um, something that he brought forward, uh, the idea that you could have this chorus of young people both in the story and narrating the story, I think, was, was a huge part of the draw. And maybe Kenji wants to say more about that. Please, Kenji O, oh, composer of The Emissary. Yes, this high school choir will have significant role in this opera. And I think this is, echoes the spirit of this hands-on opera program of Opera Parallel to pass on incredible experience and tell the important messages. And I'm so glad that we can collaborate with young artists, next generation artists on this program. Well, I don't think you could have a better creative environment than working with Opera Parallel's general and artistic director, Nicole Paimon. Kenji, tell us perhaps how she helped bring your music to life or, or made it, made it uh, in a way that you hadn't thought about. Uh, this is my first opera, so everything was new to me. And imagining staging of opera was not something I'm used to do. So I had a hard time imagining it. And as I write music, she pointed out some issues as opera piece that so I could fix, like the space. We need more space between music and opera. And it was, I think, the biggest issue for me hmm. to make that space for the stage. Power in silence, that's for sure. And yes, uh, most some of the most important notes you write are rests uh, as a composer, as some of the great composers well know. Um, Kelly, was Nicole involved at all in adjusting the libretto in any way? Absolutely. I mean, I think from the beginning, it was a very collaborative process. So I put the first outline out there for Kenji, for Nicole, for Brian, who's also part of the leadership team of Opera Parallel. I think the more that you have people with different perspectives on opera, you have a composer, a librettist, a conductor, a director, 
the more voices you have, the more you can start to figure out how it will live on the stage. Um, so we were all talking about all the details from the very beginning. Um, and I made, you know, at every stage, I would share the next draft with the team. And Kenji would have ideas. He would say, oh, but there's this one part of the book that I think will make a beautiful chorus and you left it out. Part of the difficulty of adapting a novel is that you're leaving out so much. Um, and so I'm choosing the spine to tell the story, but I also need to make sure I'm choosing the bits that really inspire Kenji um, to do his best work. That's maybe, in, unless your name is Richard Wagner, I'm going to a four-hour Lohengrin tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, but being, being spare is key to so many things and, and knowing what to, what to take out as well as what to leave in. Um, you've both been so busy creatively. Kelly, what else are you working on or, or looking forward to after this project? Um, my next, the next place I go is to London. I'm doing a, an adaptation of Hansel and Gretel um, for Royal Opera House. I wrote that it was supposed to premiere in 2020. Um, so it feels like a lifetime ago. Mm. Um, and then I'm, I'm working on a new piece for American Composers Orchestra in the spring. At this, point, at this point, are there rights issues regarding something as old as Hansel and Gretel, the tale? There are not. That's public domain. That's helpful. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. And Kenji, you've got a lot going on as well. How about you? After this opera, are more operas in the pike, or is that proving to be too daunting? What's what's on your calendar coming up? Uh, luckily, I got the opportunity to write second opera for Portland Opera. So uh, that will be premiered in 2024 20, fall. Fantastic. We'll have to keep abreast of that and let us know when it comes to the Bay Area. Opera Parallel begins its 23-24 season with The Emissary, a world premiere commissioned by Opera Parallel. Kenji O, composer, Kelly Rourke, librettist, based on a novel by Yoko Tawada with an English translation by Margaret Mitsutani. Among the creative team, conductor Nicole Paimont, as well as Jaco Wong for one of the performances, directed by Yayoi Kambara, chorus director Tony Asaro of Lick Wilmerding High School, scenic and costume designer Matthew Linzer, and lighting design by Spence Matabong. It's, a, I think, what's called a two-hander, even though there are four hands involved. Two people, two people in the cast. Mume is played by Angela Yam and Yoshira by Bradley Kynard. Opera Parallel, that's Parallel with two L's, and then E-L-E with one L, operaparallel.org for more information. Uh, Kelly York, thanks for spending some time. And Kenji, uh, I want you to explain a little bit about the other excerpt that I'm going to bring up. It's, uh, it's just a sampling of the way you use the orchestra, and the piece is called Forest Labyrinth. Oh, that piece, I wrote that like 10 years ago, and it used the same instrumentation as the emissary, which is flute, clarinet, percussion, piano, and violin cello. I, I think this is like the tiny orchestra, tiniest orchestra. And I wanted the colorfulness of this. And I experienced writing for this ensemble 10 years ago, and I really liked it. And I wanted to use it for this opera too. And as a flutist, I thank you for such beautiful writing for flute. That's Kenji O. Oh. His music for The Emissary will be world premiered by Opera Parallel, Kelly Rourke, libretto. Thanks so much for taking some time. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thanks, Kelly, as well. 
And again, information about the concerts, which are this weekend, uh, actually next weekend, Friday the 27th at 7 p.m., Saturday the 28th at 1 and 4 p.m., is at either ODCSF or at Opera Parallel's website. We'll have those links at our website, klw.org, as well. Still to come, an amazing epic love story from the Persian poem from the 10th century. I'll talk with the creator, Hamid Ramanian, shortly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. the creative writing and orchestration of Kenji Oh, who will have the world premiere of his opera The Emissary performed next weekend by Opera Parallel. I'm David Latulipe. You're listening to On the Arts on KALW, listener-supported public radio. Well, next, Fictionville Studio presents the San Francisco Bay Area debut of Hamid Rahmanian's Song of the North. It's a magical evening of large-scale shadow puppetry that will transport audiences into ancient worlds full of color, history, and stunning imagery at Fort Mason's Fort Mason Center's Cowell Theater. It's based on an epic love story from the ancient Persian poem Shahnameh, and will have performances on Friday and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. with Saturday and Sunday matinees on the 21st and 22nd at 3 p.m. Hamad Ramanian, I guess, is a 2014 John Guggenheim Fellow and the recipient of the 2020 United States Artists Fellowship. His works have been centering on theater, moving image, and graphic arts, and for over a decade, his work has been rooted in the Persian epic poem Shahnameh by Ferdowsi, modernizing and adapting the work for new, diverse audiences. Some of his recent works include a 600-page illustrated art book, Shahnameh, the Epic of the Persian Kings from 2013, and the immersive audiobook version with an introduction by Francis Ford Coppola. In 2018, he released the pop-up book Zahak, The Legend of the Serpent King, Serpent King in English and French, which was awarded the Megendorfer Prize for the best pop-up book and held as, quote, simply breathtaking by French's newspaper Le Monde. In 2018, uh, in 2019, he created the UNM, UNIMA USA award-winning shadow theater piece Feathers of Fire, 
which premiered at the Brooklyn Academy of Music and toured around the U.S. and abroad. And in 2019, he was commissioned by Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble to create a video animation for their multimedia project, Heroes Take Their Stand. Mr. Ramanian has recently completed the second installment of his Shadow Theater trilogy, Song of the North, and published a new pop-up book, The Seven Trials of Rostam. Welcome to you, Hamid, and we're sorry for any kind of transportation issues that the San Francisco airport might have put you under. <laughs> Thank you, David. You're very kind. Thanks for having me on your program. Wonderful. Yes, I just literally 10 minutes ago arrived from the airport. Where were you flying in <laughs> I'm from? catching up. I'm sorry? Where were you flying in from? I, I, I came from New York. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, tell us about this epic 10th century work poem that has served as such a creative force for you for so many years. Yes, this is a, a very stunning work of uh, poetry. It's, in fact, the largest uh, poem written by a single poet. Um, in 1010, a poet named Ferdowsi, he collected and put together millennium-old epic tradition of the Iranian plateaus uh, into close to 60,000 heroic verses. And this book, uh, it's amazingly still to this date, is in conversation with its Iranian people. It's not like, uh, let's say, Greek mythology or North mythology that it belongs to past. The message and the legend in this book is still on the streets of Tehran, still alive. People creating actually slogans, They're referring to some of the mythological character to fight with the Islamic regime. And, and as you heard about the woman life freedom movement in Iran, uh, you know, you've seen the clip uh, for the solidarity uh, women or men clipping their hairs. These are all the customs kept in this uh, book. Uh, there is legends of the Serpent King that they're referring to. <laughs> anyway, make this story short. This epic tradition, this mythology, is still alive and still is in conversation with Iranian people. Is this so? A... Yes. No. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and also there is another attribute to this book, uh, which is the the reason that we Iranian to this day uh, speak Persian and not Arabic is because of this book. This book kept the Persian language alive. And this is the kind of like a national identity of Persianized people and connect them uh, to before uh, Islamic con uh, conquest in 7th century. So in fact, the, the, uh, the epic poems start with the creation of the civilization, the first king, and it finished with the Arab conquest in 7th century. So this is the, and then you, there is a three parts. There is a mythological part, this uh, epic poem. There is a, a epic part and there is a, the historical part, uh, which uh, there are love stories, there are battles, there are tragedies. It's like Iliad and Odyssey, but sevenfold longer. And a very sophisticated text. Uh, it's actually the text that used to all the statement they had to actually read and uh, study this text to, in order to understand how to run the country. And, um, and as I said, uh, most importantly, he kept the Persian language alive. So last 16 years, I dedicated my life to bring these epic poems uh, through different means uh, to the American audience. Uh, I started with the illustrated edition with the new translation by Dr. Sadri, which is very accessible, very easy. Um, 
uh, as you know, some of the epic poems like Iliad, Odyssey, or even a modern one, the Lord of the Rings, sometimes complicated to follow, but we uh, uh, sort of work so much around the translation to make sure that the English translation is accessible and uh, easy to digest, and yet it's beautifully composed. And then that was very successful. We still is the ninth printing, 600-page illustrated edition, uh, the ninth printing. And then we start doing, as you mentioned, the pop-up books, shadow theater, the audiobook production, which was is a really unique um, audiobook production, entirely 12 hours of sound design and sound effect and music editing. I created basically 12 hours of um, sonic landscape of the epic and uh, Francis Ford Coppola was kind enough to read the introduction. And uh, he actually came to see my last show in, the, in San Francisco three times, twice behind the scene and one in the front. Wow, nice. <laughs> and uh, he really liked it. And so we, um, I asked him when I finished the, uh, the audiobook production to read it. And I said, you know what, Francis, to be honest with you, I need the stamp of the white man approval <laughs> on this production. <laughs> Wow. So I can, because it's very hard, David, to, these are very uh, on the margin of the culture. You know, you, you, they never play with you in the center stage. So they have to scream so loud and you have to do so many tricks and juggling and perform magic to actually, to, to people pay attention to this uh, beautiful text that is in absent in the uh, narrative of the Western audience. While you have the roots of many of your stories in this book, like Romeo, Juliet, Macbeth, Rapunzel, those are all, if you go back, it's the roots is in this epic poem, which actually the stories can even before Ferdowsi that come versified in 1010. So and that's probably topical for another conversation, but we are here for Song of the North. Is a, is a, is a large-scale shadow theater production. There are... Uh, 483 puppets with the nine actors. They're acting against 208 animated backgrounds. This is a, it's a very massive production that you, I, I assure you, no one has seen anything even similar to this. I, I can't imagine those actors keeping track of all those, those different puppets. Yes, we, yeah, we have over 2,000 cues performed. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yes. And in these people who are performing it are in, incredibly talented and they're really passionate that they love what they're doing. Otherwise, uh, it would not be possible. There's just so much love and passion went through this production. It's a three years production. It's not like a, a year we put it together. Three years, to a full time job to create this um, uh, the Song of the North. It's a, um, it's a very, very, I mean, it's. And also, in terms of the story, that the way that you actually absorb it, especially you're living in the world, it's full of suffering. I think this kind of production is kind of like a, a soul cathartic um, experience that puts you in a very sophisticated setting in terms of visual and story and takes you away from your uh, this uh, life that you're living in, which is full of sadness, full of... Uh, sorrows and uh, and th- th- this this kind of production is really uh, it's uh, uh, what do you call it is uh, uh, soften your soul and your heart 
Mm. Well, in addition to the performances at Fort Mason this weekend, other stops before it all ends next April yes, will be next in... next week we are going to be in... Uh, next week we are going to be in Seattle. Seattle and which then... Which I have to actually... I, I have to a little bit rub it into the, uh, the, uh, the face of the San Francisco people because <laughs> the, the, uh, in Seattle we are almost sold out. But uh, in, in San Francisco, we still need need people to come. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. and before that, we were in Colombia, Bogota. We were in France. We were uh, we performed. We were in New York. We performed actually in Harvey Theater in New York in BAM, which is a very very uh, nice stage. They give uh, it actually. There were never been a puppet show at Harvey stage for wow. the last I don't know eighty ninety years. That is a great space. So they were. And so yes, after after Seattle, you're off to Chicago. Then come the New Year, uh, Chicago New Year, Fairfax, Virginia, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, Richmond, Virginia, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Los Angeles, and then Nashville. All for Song of yeah, the Yeah, and there is more. Actually, they're coming. <laughs> there is more. It's a. Uh, it's again. It's quite a uh, unique experience. It's because you know the, the other form of theater you you've seen one way or another but this is uh, it's different because the way actually we uh, put it together the audience watch a movie while in the back, behind this giant screen that we have you're actually uh, making the movie editing the movie and performing the, the presenting the movie it's all happening live at the same place. Well, I'm sure people will uh, be enticed to see it if they go to our website where we have some information about Song of the North, created and directed by Hamid Rahmanian, with an original score commissioned by well-known Iranian composer Loga Ramin Torkian and vocals by star singer Azam Ali. What wonderful team you have working for you, and we wish you yeah. a, a wonderful visit here in San Francisco now that you landed. <laughs> we'll look forward to uh, hearing about other projects. You mentioned uh, that beautiful handcrafted pop-up called Seven Trials of Rostrum, which is also right. based on uh, ancient Persian tales. Point, yes. There's a wonderful um, video uh, at um, kingarama.com that shows the right. factory where these hundreds of paper specialists were involved right. in the creation of right. the pop-up book. So I'd encourage people to go to kingarama.com to learn more about and perhaps order the book. Fictionvillestudio.com is where you'll learn about more productions of this very creative company and my thanks once again to Hamid for taking the time to join us by phone and uh, settle in to San Francisco thank you David looking forward to seeing you in the weekend okay thank you <laughs> all right here's some music from song of the north original music by Loga Ramin Torkian Never enough time to mention additional things that are happening here around the Bay. This week, Saturday, Sunday in Zellerbach Hall and the UC Berkeley campus, the Triplets of Belleville, a concert of, of live music that is performed uh, with a, uh, a live orchestra to the animation film, The Triplets of Belleville. It's a fascinating, wonderful f- feature film released back in 2003. It has images and music, almost no dialogue, and writer Sylvain Chaumet tells the story of a caper involving American gangsters, Tour de France cyclists, and a colorful trio of vaudevillian sisters out to expose a crime ring. 
triplets of Belleville this weekend at Zellerbach Hall, Cal Performances. MTT returns to the podium this weekend for performances of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony with full chorus, of course, and soloists Tamara Mumford, Ben Bliss, Doshton Burton, and Angel Blue Soprano, who just wowed us across the street and garnered a glowing review from the Chronicle's Joshua Cosman for her portrayal of Leonora and Verdi's Il Trovatore. Ars Minerva has some concerts. She needs Madame Butterfly at West Bay Opera out in Palo Alto. Lots to do. Thanks for listening to KALW San Francisco and On the Arts, where the arts coverage continues with the Arts Hour from the BBC.